0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. At some point in life, we go through the, the painful thing of growing up and maturing, and part of that is trying to begin to discern the difference between wants and and needs. Uh, we have this conversation in our home sometimes. Um, but I think maybe some of you in here this morning could relate to me in that there are moments in my life when I need a pizza. Now, there, there are moments when, you know, you just think, oh, hey, pizza would be good. And that's one of the things you toss out. I'm not talking about those moments. I'm talking about these, these days, these moments where, and a lot of times they uh, seem to coincide with cloudy, dreary days. Um, oftentimes they're associated with days that we call Saturday. Um, there may be football on the TV. It could be like three or four in the afternoon and I'm still wearing what I slept in. Um, and at those moments, I need a pizza. And because pizza doesn't grow on trees, you can't plant pizza seeds. There are not seasons of the year where pizzas fall from the sky or anything like that. We all at some point say, thank you Lord for the pizza makers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But here's the thing. I don't just need a pizza because although I am in fine condition to go to Walmart, I am really not in the condition at that moment to go anywhere else on the planet. Don't want to leave the house. And so I don't just need a pizza, I need a pizza brought to me. And so while I say, Yes, Lord, thank you for the pizza maker, I say, Thank you, thank you, thank you for the pizza delivery man. Thank you, Lord, or woman. That there's a human being who will bring the pizza right to my door. Now, I'm about to share with you what I'm going to call life-changing truth. So you're going to want to remember this. And later, at some point, you're going to go, man, that Pastor Brian, I don't know where he comes up with this stuff. So you need to hear this. It's going to sink in. It's good, okay? You can't have delivery without a deliverer. Blows your mind, doesn't it? You cannot have delivery without a deliverer. We need a deliverer. What is a deliverer? Um, let's dissect the word for a moment, if you, if you will. Um, this is, uh, I'm good at, at English, not math, not science, but I'm pretty good with English. This is a three-part word. D is a prefix. D most of the time means out of. So we use that every once in a while. Well, then you have this ending to the word err. What is is err? It's a sound that maybe you make when you're sleeping or I don't know. But uh, most of the time, what it's referring to is someone that possesses a quality. She's a real nurturer. He's a gatherer. Here we're talking about a deliverer. So that's the beginning of the word, the ending of the word. But the part I really wanna focus on is the middle because that's a word that we know. Live. It comes from the same word that we know of as life. So what we find is that a deliverer is someone who rescues, someone who sets free, someone who brings to life, someone who liberates, someone who takes to the intended place, someone who gives life. At the beginning of Exodus, God's people are being persecuted. They are being enslaved and they are about to slowly be executed. Now, God had made a covenant with them back in the book of Genesis, beginning with a man named Abraham. And that covenant was to not only multiply them, but to take them to this promised land where all of their needs would be met. They evidently were not there yet. And so they need A deliverer. God promised to deliver them. Well, in the midst of their suffering and slavery, God is about to send just the deliverer that they need. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. To set the stage, remember last week, Exodus chapter 1. Joseph, all his brothers, they die. We've moved on a few generations. This Pharaoh begins to be a bit worried. These Israelites, they are multiplying in number. They may take over the place. So he begins to uh, enslave them, put them to work. That's not really solving the problem. So slowly he begins to try and secretly and subversively kill off the baby boys. That's not working because people are secretly working against him. So finally he reaches the boiling point and puts out an edict through the whole nation. If you see an Israelite Hebrew baby boy, two years old, somewhere around there or younger, you have the full authority of the state, the nation, and you don't just have the authority, you are being commanded to take that child and throw him in the river. That's the edict. So look with me, Exodus chapter two, verse one. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. We learn later on that this man's name is Amram and his wife's name is Jochebed. Parents, if you're looking for any names, there you go, there's a a couple. The woman conceived and bore a son, And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Why would she hide him for three months? Well, because if the Egyptians see him, they're going to throw him in the river and kill him. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She made a basket out of reed, covered it in tar, sealed it together. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Raising a child is hard work. Can I get an amen? Amen. Takes great faith to do what Solomon said, to train up a child in the way he should go. Um, That is a life-consuming endeavor. It's a worthwhile life-consuming endeavor, but it is consuming nonetheless. As a, a youth pastor for about 15 years of my life, Um, I had multiple occasions to watch parents go through the tension and the struggle of taking their 17, 18-year-old, packing everything that they own in the car, driving them off to college, unloading all their stuff in a dorm room, kissing them goodbye getting in the car and driving off in tears, praying, hoping, believing I've done enough. I've raised them to be the person they ought to be. Lord, it is all in your hands now. Imagine for a moment though, you're not taking your 17, 18 year old off to university to put them in the dorm and come home. You're taking your three month old to put him in a basket and put him in the river and say see you later we go through stress i haven't even taken my kids to college and i'm already freaking out about it i know it'll be here like this imagine being jochebed this woman who is putting her child in the river the one of the deadliest rivers in the world. I'm, I'm, I'm unloading my kid at school. I don't know. Can he make decisions for himself? Can she take care of herself? I'm putting my kid in the river. He can't even talk or walk. This is significant. Imagine the weight and the burden on this woman. Look at verse four. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. We also learn later that this sister's name is Miriam. We don't know if mom said, hey, follow behind me and and watch everything that happens or if she was secretly sneaking around. We don't know if she was brokenhearted over what was about to happen to her brother or if maybe she was angry and bitter at her mom for making this decision. We don't know any of that. All we know is that for some reason, she's there and she's watching. Verse five, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her woman to get it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. We, we've we finished Exodus chapter one. We're one chapter in. And already there's the temptation when you read Exodus chapter one to kind of have this feeling of those Egyptians. Those Egyptians are persecuting God's people. Those Egyptians are enslaving God's people. Those Egyptians are murdering God's people. The, the last person on earth that she would want to find her child other than Pharaoh, Pharaoh, would probably be one of Pharaoh's family, right? Let me say this this morning. The instant that we begin stereotyping people, the instant that we begin safely just lumping people into groups and making assumptions about people because we think they're from this group or that, the moment that we start making those assumptions, you better watch out. Someone's going to surprise you. Someone is going to shock you. Someone's going to take your stereotypes, take our groups, and they're going to explode them. Someone's going to prove us wrong. I don't know if you're aware of this, but God saved thousands of murderous Nazi soldiers out of the German army. There were thousands of men who spent the rest of their lives after World War II walking and living in repentance of what they had either done or seen or participated in. God saved people out of that. God has, um, God is, and God will continue to save thousands of what we refer to as radical Islamic terrorist, out of ISIS, out of Al-Qaeda, that is happening right now in the country of Iran. I don't know if you know this or not, but the gospel is spreading rapidly. I have seen numerous, very, very educated, staunch, arrogant, adamant, atheist, saved out of the academic culture that they'd been immersed in their whole life. The instant that we start uh, assuming things about people because of where they're from or who we identify them with, watch out. We can't know the heart of every person, but you know what? We can know the heart of our God to draw them and to save them. Anyone. Pharaoh's daughter, what should have happened in this moment that we just read about? I'll tell you what should have happened. She should have killed that baby. What was the edict that Pharaoh put out? If you see, you find a Hebrew Israelite baby boy, take him, throw him in the river. Well, guess what? Somebody did have to work for her. She found the baby in the river. All she had to do was turn over the basket. But we're told here that that's not what happened. She took pity on him. Verse 7. Remember, Miriam is somewhere hidden, watching all this take place. In verse 7, the sister runs in and says to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes, go. So the girl went. And found a random woman. Is that what it says? No. The girl went and called who? The child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Let me stop for a moment and also say this. Some of the most courageous people that I've ever seen in my entire life are women who have chosen to give up their child for adoption. Now, do not mishear me or misunderstand me. Um, I also believe that some of the most courageous women on earth are those who have chosen to keep their child and do whatever it takes. But I cannot imagine the weight there must be in making that decision because we're talking about women who from the instant that they knew there was a life growing inside of them, they were grateful to God for the opportunity to participate in this mind-blowing activity of creation, of, of being able to bring life into the world, yet at the same time, knowing I cannot take care of and raise This child, and so I'm going to place them in the care of someone that I believe can. That takes immense courage. Some of the greatest faith I've seen in my life are parents who have raised their son, their daughter to know the Lord, to walk with the the Lord and see that child run away from God and from them and rebel and spend years praying and waiting and praying and waiting for the Lord to draw them home, literally and spiritually. It takes great faith to walk through that. I've seen moments And you know what's crazy is that every single one of us can see these moments because they're all over the internet. You can see these moments where birth mothers are reunited with their children after 10, 15, 20, 30, maybe 40 years. And let's just be real, you're going to need some Kleenex. I've witnessed with my own eyes several moments where the Lord finally got a hold of a young person and they came home literally and spiritually back to their parents, back to the Lord. To say that those are powerful moments is a gross understatement. Why am I bringing this up? Well, imagine for a moment, you didn't give your child up for adoption, you didn't see your child run off in rebellion. You took your child, put him in a basket, put him in the river, and you walked away. And you you had prayed before then and you're praying now and you are realizing I may never see this child again. If this child knows what I did? Would they ever forgive me? Would they ever be able to love me? Imagine the weight that must have been on this woman, this mother. But now, the next thing you know, possibly like hours later, your daughter comes walking in the door, not with her friend, no. She has this beautiful Egyptian princess with her who's got something in her arms what in the world is that a baby and it's not just any baby it's your baby and she's coming in and saying hey i found this baby in the river would you take care of it for me oh and hey by the way i'll pay you to do it my kids are 13 and 15 It was a while ago that they were born. I remember it all like it was yesterday. And I I will tell you, everybody in the hospital, I assure you, was just as grateful to participate in the Mayfield births as the Mayfield. We all had a great time. Uh, I especially remember when my daughter was born, the nurses, they had to love me. I bought them Krispy Kremes. We, We just had a great day together. But after a couple of days, you can kind of begin to tell. They want you to go. We got to get you out of this room. Somebody else needs to have a baby. And so they want you to go. However, they don't want you to go so bad that they're going to forget to come in and say, we need you to sign these papers and here's what you owe us. How will you be taking care of that? thank the Lord for insurance, because if you saw the real number, you'd just pass out, bam, right there on the floor. But the number you still owe them, it's sort of significant. They did not come in and say, oh, Brian, Mr. and Mrs. Mayfield, Libby, Nathan, they are so beautiful. We just thank you so much for letting us be here and help out and stuff. And we just took up a collection. Um, All the nurses, doctors, everybody pitched in, even the epidural person. And, and, And I counted it and it's a lot of money, but I'll just say, I don't think it's enough. So here's what, I'm gonna give you my credit card. It's the hospital's card. We know you're gonna have diapers and formula and all that stuff. Just take it, just get whatever you need. They didn't do that. Imagine your Jochebed, your life has just walked back in the door. You have been given new life. My child has been brought back to me and I'm going to be paid to raise him. As mind blowing as all this is, I can assure you of, of one thing. This woman had no idea what God had planned for her son. She didn't know, but she knew her life had been given back. Exodus chapter 10, excuse me, chapter two, verse 10. When the child grew up, Jochebed brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So Pharaoh's daughter, this princess names Moses Moses. Moses, because in Hebrew, it means drawn out. How incredibly fitting that that would be for this man, because ultimately that's exactly what God is going to do with his life. He's going to draw him out. He's going to raise him up and he's going to send him back in. Moses would be the deliverer for God's people. Now, I want to take just a moment here And and let's just kind of briefly walk back through this sort of a synopsis to make sure that we're tracking the totality of what God has done, okay? Pharaoh, king of Egypt, acting out of fear, out of insecurity. He wants to get rid of the Israelites. They're going to grow in number. They're going to grow in size. And they may not only outnumber us, they may overpower us. So eventually he gets to his plan of, I want to eliminate them. And he commands all of his people, if you see a Hebrew baby boy, kill it, throw it into the Nile. So here are these two Hebrews, Amram, Jochebed. They have a baby boy. They hide him so he won't be killed. Now, if any of you have ever hidden anything, you know, eventually it gets found. Now, in my house, if I don't hide something, I can never find it. But if you hide stuff, see Jesus even said, the things that we try to hide, sweep under the rug in our life, eventually they're all going to surface. Try hiding a baby, doesn't work. Eventually they can't hide him any longer. So mom comes up with a plan. She makes a basket, but here, this is where the scripture, friends, if you are a child of God, you need to become a student of his word. Here's why. Mom doesn't just make a basket. Mom makes what's called a teba. In the Hebrew, it's spelled T-E-B-H-A. There's only one other place in the entirety of the scriptures that we find this word. You know where it is? It's in Genesis, like six-ish through nine-ish, where God comes to this guy named Noah and says, Hey, Noah, I need you to build a Teba, an ark. You know what an ark is? An ark is is a vessel of deliverance. So get this. Mom builds a little mini vessel of deliverance and places the future deliverer in it and puts it in the river. The same river that Pharaoh commanded that that baby be drowned in. He's discovered and he's treated with maternal love by not just any random person, but the daughter of the very king who ordered him to be killed. And not only does she not kill him, she has pity on him and affection for him. Now, because of the brave, quick thinking of the baby's sister, he's placed back in the care of the one woman in all the world who would care the very best for him, his own mother. And she's paid for it. Later, when he grows up, He's brought back to Pharaoh's house, raised by Pharaoh's daughter, given Egyptian education, which is mind-blowing, all under the nose of the very throne of the king, who wants him dead, who he will wind up overthrowing. You tell me God is not sovereign. There's Exodus 2. God's people need a deliverer. Without question, it's probably not who any of them would have thought. It's not when they would have wanted. It doesn't happen how anybody would ever dream up. Why? Because that's how God rolls. He doesn't do things our way. Trust me when I say that they would want sooner rather than later. Because we just read about Moses being born. Moses has to grow up. Moses has to flee. Moses has to be drawn out in the wilderness. Then Moses has to come back. We got about 80 years to go now. They would want sooner rather than later. And you know what? So would we, whatever it is that we're walking through, whatever valley that it is that we're in, whatever circumstance that we're going, hey God, when are you gonna do something about this? We always want sooner rather than later. God is sovereign. His timing is perfect. We want like bigger rather than smaller. Um, We're looking at what's going on here and we're going, hey God, bring some revenge with you when you come. Some vindication maybe. And God says, hey, I'll take care of the judgment. I'll take care of the deliverance. We want stronger rather than weaker. We constantly... Want to determine how it is that we're delivered. But you know what? They didn't choose. The Hebrews, the Israelites, they didn't choose the way of salvation. Neither do we. Neither do we. I want to read it again with, with you in Galatians chapter 4. We read this scripture just a few weeks ago at Christmas. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, the apostle Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, and we talked about how the everyday language of what Paul says there, the way you and I would say that is, at just the right time. At just the right time, God sent forth his son, Born of a woman, born under the law, God sent the deliverer to be one of us, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption. As sons and daughters. And because we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our heart, crying out, Father, because you and I are now children of God, the Spirit testifies within us that we belong to Him. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir through God. In Christ. And because of this, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8 and says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, the deliverer has come to set you free from the law of sin and death. And so now anyone who will confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart, God raised him from the dead will be saved. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus suffered and died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended back to the Father. The gospel, the good news of the gospel changes us. Well, after all that's happened and the gospel has gone out and Jesus' disciples have spread out all over the place, we find John, he's been exiled out onto this island called Patmos and he has a vision and and Jesus speaks to John and begins to tell him this is what's going to take place and I want you to hear what Jesus says to you and to me in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Friends, let's go back for a moment to my pizza. Okay? Okay. And I want you to imagine with me that I don't just need a pizza, but I'm like dying of hunger. Uh, A lot of you know, I have hypoglycemia. I'm really grateful. Mine's not very bad. But if you're with me long enough, you'll figure it out. I get irritable and cranky and all that. If you've been to Guatemala with us, um, Sue Ann basically like warns people who are on my team, make sure Brian eats like every two hours um you don't want to be around him if he doesn't uh, and it's true um a couple of weeks ago pat and i were playing golf and uh, i forgot to eat really before i went and about hole number 8 i'm pretty sure he thought i was going to fall out of the golf cart um it can get bad well uh, my family sometimes goes out of town without me you should be really sad for me and invite me over for dinner when that happens but imagine that they left and somehow there's just no food. And I had an attack and I'm laying there in the floor and I get just enough energy to call the pizza place. <laughs> I, I need a pizza. And about 30 minutes later, ding dong. So I crawl over there and I assume it's gotta be the pizza delivery guy, right? But I look out the door, No, 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 no. I I recognize that guy. I didn't tell you all this, but I know the pizza guy, Tony. Uh, He works down, his store's down the street from us. He works out with me a couple days a week. And I look out the door and it's Tony's son. And I open the door and I'm like, oh my gosh, Thank you for, for finally getting here. And I, I reach around and get my wallet. And he stops me. And he says, oh, hey, hey, no, 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 no. This is free. This is on the house. My dad made a pizza just for you. And he sent me to bring it to you. And you know what, Brian? Hey, if you'll just get out of the way here, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna help you up. And I'm gonna take you to the table and we're going to we're going to eat this together friends we're not talking about stomach issues we're not talking about food we're talking about the salvation of our souls and that Jesus Christ he knew what we needed before we ever even knew that we needed it and he brings it and he comes to the door and he says I want to come in and and I want to fill every need. I want to bring you from death to life. And see, here's what's crazy. Other stuff shows up at my door all the time. Hey, let me in. We're going to have fun together. And I go looking for what only I can find here. I go looking for it here and it always winds up empty. It never satisfies me. Or it leaves me bloated in my chair feeling like, I think I'm gonna be sick. And all the while, the thing that I need most, Jesus Christ brings and he says, I've come that you might have a life to the fullest. That you might eat and you might be satisfied. You cannot have delivery without a deliverer. Jesus delivers and only Jesus does. God loved the world so much that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. God's people needed a deliverer from Egypt. And as we're going to see in the weeks to come, Moses would point to the one greater than himself, the true deliverer that we all need from slavery to sin and death. Thank you, God. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we thank you that you are the one that created us, formed us, knitted us together. You search us, you know us. You know. When we sit down, when we stand up, you know our thoughts, you know our worries, our cares. You know the words of our mouth before they ever even hit our tongue. God, you know the steps that we take. You know the valleys that we walk through. And you never leave us. You walk with us. Lord, we desire today to have the heart of David. That would say, how precious are your thoughts to me, O Lord. Your love is better than life. Lord, we ask this morning that you would search us. that you would overwhelm us once again with your grace and your mercy and your love. In just a moment, we're going to respond to the Lord in song. We want to invite you, if you need to come to the foot of the cross or to the steps, and just make that an altar. Please come. If you're here this morning and you need someone to pray with you or to share with you the good news of the gospel, how Jesus changes everything, some of our pastors, elders, and leaders are going to be in the back. They would love to talk with you and pray with you. Lord Jesus, these moments are yours. We exalt you. We lift you up. We proclaim that you are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are the deliverer. Be glorified. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.